Good morning, Watermark family. My name is Kristen Farrell, and I'm part of the preaching team here. And I'm just, I'm like bubbling over with joy to be here with you this morning. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way to just see your faces and know that so many of you are joining with us online. It's a great morning to be here and worship the mighty God that we just sang about. Well, this is the last week of our series called Hearing God's Voice, where we've covered so many aspects of prayer and discernment and kind of some self-checks to know if there are things that are blocking our prayer life and ways that we can really affirm uh, God's voice as we continue to, to live for him and to serve him well. And today, we're going to finish up by, by continuing talking about prayer, because prayer is, is something that we hear all the time, right? We, we hear things like, I'll be praying for you, or you're in my thoughts and, and in my prayers, or do you have any prayer requests? And oftentimes, that last one, I always hear people say things like, can you pray for... And oftentimes, those prayers become very um, situational prayers. So, for example, there are things like, can you pray for the job transition that I'm going through? Or can you pray for someone else? We ask, can I pray for you? And we actually say, actually, if you could pray for my daughter, that would be great. Or if you could pray for a health issue, that would be great. And while those prayers are valuable and, and there's so much power in those, I want us to think a little bit today about the difference between those situational prayers and really uh, a different thought of, of really thinking about personal prayers, prayers that we can really dig into who we are with some, with some honest, honest prayers. What that means is, can you imagine this if, if someone said to you, hey, how can I be praying for you? And you said, sheesh. My jealousy issues are over the moon. I get together with my small group, and they start talking about what they're doing and what their kids are doing and what's going on in their lives, and I just feel so jealous all the time. That would be kind of a, both appalling and freeing prayer. Or if someone asked you that question and you said, man, can you just pray for my nonstop gossiping? Every time I think it's going to get better, I go into work and I, you know, have my water cooler conversation with my mask on, and man, we just jump right into gossiping. I'm just struggling with gossip. Or how about this one? Could you really pray for my pride and self-righteousness? Especially in, in, in the context of politics these days, I really just think people are dumb all the time. I'm so prideful because I'm so smart. I know how to do things, but everyone else around me, they're idiots. See, it's my, my pride and my self-righteousness. Or how about if we ask for prayers for our critical judgment of others? Gosh, I get on social media, and I, and I just I look at the way people are spending money or their time, and, and I'm really struggling. Could you really pray for how judgy I am? Those would be remarkable prayers to start praying for one of each other. And again, as I said before, they're appalling to, to look at the reality of who we are, but they can also be so freeing. Because when it comes down to it, we're all kind of jerks, right? Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, and you're like, oh great, I came to church this morning to hear that I'm a jerk. But you're also <laughs> very valuable, and you're also very loved. And so how do you wrestle through that, knowing your sinfulness, but then also wanting to be known and wanting to be loved? 
And so today we're going to talk about how we can get there. How can we be honest with who we are and pray some dangerous prayers, but also know that people can still love us, and more importantly, that God will still love us. But it's some things to wrestle through. But we need to wrestle through those things because the more we know who we are, the more we see who Jesus is. And isn't that what we're trying to do, right? We have two parts to this Christian journey. We have love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, your mind. And we have love your neighbor as yourself. But sometimes that gets out of whack, right? Sometimes we, all we can think about is, is loving God and, and that's so good. And, and, and we're focused on how we can grow and what we can do. But we kind of forget about the world around us that also needs to be loved and know Jesus, And then sometimes we get so much in the busyness of doing and loving others and and trying to serve him well that, believe it or not, we can even miss the point of why we're even doing it. Is it just to be good or be nice? No, we miss the point that it's a way to express our love and to give glory to Jesus and God, our Savior. And so we have to wrestle through these things so that we don't miss the point. And not only is that true in our, in our walk, in our faith, but it's also true in our prayer life. Because the way I see it is I think about when we are courageous enough to pray these dangerous prayers, that they'll really challenge us personally. And the more we're challenged, the more we can be like Jesus. The more we can be like Jesus, the more intimacy we have him, the deeper our connection in closeness with him grows and develops. And then as a result of that, we can see people the way he sees people. And when we see people the way he sees people, we want to share the gospel. And when we share the gospel, we extend his kingdom. And when his kingdom is extended, then God gets the glory. Who doesn't want that to happen as we journey together in our faith? And yet, and yet, we're scared to dig in sometimes. We're scared to see some things about ourselves or about the world around us that are just easier to ignore. So today we're going to think about praying about three different prayers. And we're going to look to David in the Psalms as we, as we look at those prayers. Because David knew something about wrestling with these dangerous prayers. He knew something about what it was to grow up the youngest of seven brothers. I mean, talk about needing prayer to begin with in that situation. But not only that, he was a shepherd. And then we see how he, you know, took down Goliath. We see how he became a warrior and then a king. Then we see how he got distracted with Bathsheba and Uriah. David knows something about wrestling between his sinfulness and forgiveness and the glory of God. And so we're going to look at three psalms today. And 73, actually, of the psalms were written by David. And we're going to jump into Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is known most probably, I think, for this idea that we were knit in our mother's wombs, right? We were made wonderfully and fearfully with a God who knows us and loves us. And if we really think about that, if we think about how we were created beautifully and how we are known and loved, that's amazing to start with that. But we can't end with that because we know that sin has come into our lives. 
That's where the jerks come in, right? That's when we know that we're cheaters and pretenders, but that we're loved and that we're valued by God. And so these truths, that going back and forth, is the hard work of reflective and mindful prayers. Because God knows us. He already knows us. And yet sometimes we, we want to keep things from him. We want to keep hidden. And, and we, we kind of believe sometimes that God can just see the, the goodness of us. And that other people can just see the goodness of us. But David puts it this way, the way God knows us. In Psalm 139, he says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty lofty for me to attain. And then David says this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, search me, Lord. You already, you already know everything about me. You know what's going to come out of my mouth before I even say it. But he still prays, search me, Lord. Which is so interesting to me, right? Because God already knows everything. He's omniscient. But what David is doing here is he's giving an invitation. He's reconfirming his relationship and his desire for intimacy with God. And he puts it all out there and he says, search me, Lord. Know my heart. Not know my personality. Not know how good I look on Instagram. Not know what my coworkers think of me or my family or my bosses. I want you to search me and know my heart. Know my heart. And if we're honest, that's scary. That's really dangerous to think about being known that intimately and yet still being loved that intimately. Even if you have the the best marriage in the world, (laughs) it's a scary, scary prayer to say, search me and know my heart because we, we are afraid that once we're really known, how could we be loved? But the good news is that we can. It's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of being known and knit together in our mother's wombs, of knowing what we're going to say. God even knows that before we're going to say it. He knows the, the thoughts that are in our hearts, the good and the bad and the biases and the prejudice and our sense of humor and our quirks. And he loves you anyway, all the time. So offer that invitation to him. Search me, Lord. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. That's the hard part. Can you asking God, God, show me where I'm offensive? That's so hard to hear. Because we're really sensitive creatures. But God cares in our sanctification, which means he wants us to be set apart to do his good work. But we have to be aware of what we're being set apart from. And without God 
searching us and revealing that to us, it's hard to know what to be set apart from. Because, I know this is going to be hard to hear, but you offend people all the time. Isn't that weird? We, we're sensitive and we get offended. We get offended by institutions and about and people and family members. We walk around kind of offended all the time, but yet you offend people. I offend people. And here David puts it out that and says, search me, Lord, and show me how I'm offensive. My husband has been on this kick the past couple months where this is his worst pet peeve phrase. He's so irritated every time he hears these three words. They should just. We are living in a they should just world today. We look at politics and we say they should just. We look at educational system and say they should just. We look at churches and say they should just. They should just not make us register, not make us wear masks. They should just open childcare. They should just. The teachers, they should just do remote. The politicians, they should just. We spend our lives these days saying they should just. And you know what David does in this psalm? He turns it around and says this, I should just. I should just. I should just check my offensive ways. I should just know how I'm offensive so that, because he continues, so that, Lord, you can lead me so that you can lead me, Lord, to know who I'm following. These honest conversations with God lead to, lead to ultimate surrender. They say, God, I don't have the answers, but you do, and I want you to lead me in those. But there's a really easy to follow next progression once we know how we're so offensive, not only to people, but more importantly to God in the ways that we sin against him. And so the natural next dangerous prayer is this one. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. What it means to confess to God, to have our hearts searched, to expose the offenses to other people and to God, and then to ask for his beautiful forgiveness. We'll jump to this psalm. In Psalm 32, 32, 3 through 5, David puts it this way. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I know that seems like Christianity 101, but I don't think we're very good at it. I don't know if we're good at practicing it. And sadly, do you know want to know how I know this? Because I'm terrible at it. I know that I need things to confess. I know that I'm just not right. But the practice of confessing, acknowledging my sins is something that's really difficult to do. Because we're wired to want to deny them, to excuse our sins, to explain them away. Well, I wouldn't have said that if she wouldn't have said that. And yet all Jesus is asking us to do is to acknowledge our sins to him and to ask for his forgiveness. This is something I think we can learn really well from our Catholic brothers and sisters. This, this 
this repeated understanding of what it means to, to acknowledge and confess our sins, to not just know, but to acknowledge them. Because what's the result? This unconfessed sin, this weight that we carry is so heavy. I don't know if I am like not great in the heat. So when David says it this way, that my strength was sapped in the heat of summer, I think, oh, I get that. I get being exhausted and sapped of energy. Do you feel that way? If you're feeling that way, this might be a good check for you. Why do I feel so heavy sometimes when I think about my spiritual life? When I open my scriptures, why do I feel so heavy? When I interact with people, why am I just carrying some oppression with me? And that, that may be the result of unconfessed and unacknowledged sins in our life. But you don't have to live that way. We don't have to live with the weight of the sin and then the weight of the guilt of the sin on top of that. We can confess our sins. In Psalm, it continues even before that. In Psalm 21, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Now, I'm starting school as a teacher this week for real with students, so let me nerd out on you on a little English lesson so that I can also be prepared for this week. What I love about this psalm is that it's the only prayer of forgiveness that's in the past. So I'll spell it out a little bit. This, this term of have forgiven or are forgiven, it's in the present indefinite, which means it's happening presently, but it's also indefinitely happening. We already know for the future that it's just going to keep happening. Our sins are just going to keep being forgiven because it's indefinite. But it's also written in the past participle, which means it's already been done. So can, we can live in this freedom from our sins, knowing that we are forgiven and we continue indefinitely to be forgiven, which is the goodness of grace. So that fact that that prayer is in the past and in the present is beautiful because we are already saved from the sin. And this scripture tells us that we are blessed through the confession of our sin. In sin, the, the word sin in the Greek, Old Testament, there's lots and lots of words for the word sin. Sin translated in the Greek is harmatia, and it means missing the mark. It, when my students often play, you know, do sporting stuff, I'm not so good with the sports balls, um, and I would make a Bills reference if I knew anything about the Bills, but I don't. Um, and oftentimes kids will come in from a game and I'll say, how did it go? And they'd say, we lost. And I said, well, did you not play well or were you outplayed? Was the team just better? And when they say, well, the team was just better, then I say, well, you just missed the mark, right? There wasn't much you could do to fix that. And that's how our sin is. We just missed the mark. It's not about working harder, right? It's just the fact that we have missed the mark. Or transgressions. David mentions the word transgression, which is crossing the line. Sometimes that's how we sin. We know that the line of God's law, but we step over it anyway. David also uses the word iniquity, which means a twistedness, right? That we just see things just a little bit twisted, a little bit bent, from the way God intended it. So even though there are all these different words for sin, the good news is there are also an abundance of words for grace. 
They're an abundance of words for grace. And we need to lean into that by asking for God's forgiveness. And I know this might make you awkward, might make you feel a little awkward, so please, just as you are comfortable, join in with me. But I want to put a prayer of confession up here, and I want to practice this. We talk about these kinds of prayers, but sometimes if, if, if we don't model how to do it, we can fumble on our own words. If you feel comfortable, join with me with a prayer. And if not, you can say them in your heart, but I think it's good practice for us. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen and amen. And I hope even now, as the Holy Spirit is in this place, that you find freedom and refreshment even in that. And I pray this week, as you think about what it means to confess your sins, that it won't be out of guilt and obligation, but it will be out of a love for God and wanting to experience the joy that he wants us to know on a daily basis through the freedom of being set free from our sins. Which brings us to our final prayer, but I'm going to make you wait for it. I'm going to build up to it. We're going to start with, continue with Psalm 32, 8 through 9, where it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Now, I love a good metaphor as much as the next girl, so we got to talk about this horse bit and, and bridle thing. Horses and mules, they need constant redirection, constant redirection, so much that they have to wear this apparatus, a bit and a, and a bridle. And the bit actually causes them a little bit of pain. I was doing horse research for this. And there's a real controversy in the horse world whether you should use these or not. Because, because it, when, you, when you apply pressure to the horse's mouth, it causes pain. And then to avoid the pain, right, they go in the direction that the bridle is, is pulling them. And scripture tells us don't be like that. Meaning, one, don't need constant redirection every time you're going along in your spiritual lives. But it also has this interesting connotation of, are we just following God? Are we just letting him lead to avoid pain in our lives? Because scriptures tell us, right, in Ephesians, do not be surprised when you experience trials of any kind, for you will experience those. And yet somehow, we, we get the thinking that, that if we just obey enough, that, that we won't experience pain. And, and we try to live to avoid pain instead of living to surrender to God and following his lead. And so we need constant redirection. Why? Because our hearts just not are in it. They're not in it. We need, 
we live our lives redirected as Christians and not as changed Christians. There's a difference between constant redirection and full-on heart change. So as I teach literature, I can get kids to fall in line. I can direct them. They, they learn about conflict and characterization and themes and foreshadowing and symbolism, and I give them a reading assignment, and they, they're directed to do it, and most of the time, believe it or not, they do, or else I'm just fooled, which is probably also true. But I can redirect their behavior, but I think in my 20 years of education, how many kids have I changed their heart to love reading? I don't know, but that's my goal. Because heart change is a huge thing. We talk about it often around here, right? The, the biggest distance is the 12 inches between your head and your heart. And so we don't want to live as redirected Christians. We want to live as changed Christians. We want Jesus to come into our lives in an intimate and a personal way so that we can be changed we can confess, we can be obedient, we can look better, we can even be better, but we'll miss everything if we don't see Jesus in it and we discredit the power of God in our lives to work good things. So our third dangerous prayer is simply, change me, Lord. Search me, find the ways I'm offensive, and then forgive me for those offenses toward you and toward the people around me. But Lord, don't let me just stay that way. Change me, because I can't change myself. This isn't self-awareness, this isn't self-help. It's Jesus' awareness in us. It makes us ask the question, where are we ignoring Jesus in our hearts and where are we fully letting him open to come in and restore us and create newness in us? Which is how David puts it in Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Change my heart, Lord, not just my behavior. Help me to learn how to follow you, not just to avoid pain, but to know the goodness of a relationship with my Savior and the creator of the world who loves you and says you're valued even in spite of who you are because you are created in his image. We need to recognize that there's no working hard enough, but there's the power of the Holy Spirit. David says, create in me a pure heart. Right? Creating something is taking something from scratch and, and birthing it. And that's David's desire, to have that pure heart. And so he uses the word create for pure heart, but he uses the word restore for joy. And when we think restoration, right, it means that it was once there. So when, when David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, I want to ask him, David, when did you lose your joy? When did you start finding joy in other things? And that's a question I ask myself and a question I'll ask you this morning. Where do you find your joy? Have you lost your joy in the Lord? 
Has it been a slow fade? Or is life just too busy that you need to put the brake pedal on because there are other things that are grabbing your attention? Where are you finding that joy? And can you pray and ask for Jesus to, to restore that joy in who you are and who he is and not let life get in the way of it? And change me is a dangerous prayer because if we're honest, we hate change. Sometimes we, we just love what we're doing, even if it's not the best, because it's known. And, and we're creatures of routine. I heard somebody say, can we just stop calling this a new normal and just say it's really crazy weird? Right? It is. It's really crazy weird. I still am not used to the mask things when I'm talking to people. It doesn't feel like a new normal yet. It still just feels strange. We don't like change. Or maybe some of you just like the way God made you. And it's nice to just say that. Well, this is just the way God made me. I don't really want to change. Maybe you like your job too much. Or your work too much. Or your kids too much. Or your family too much. And you don't want any of that threatened. So why would you ever pray for change? I'm going to give you a little insight into me. And maybe this is too much. But, you know, there's that saying, be careful what you wish for. I have always kind of translated that, be careful what you pray for. And, and it's terrible theology, but this is the way I think. If I pray for patience, God's going to put a whole lot of annoying people in my life. Because <laughs> that's how he's going to strengthen my patience. Right? And I used to have this terrible thought that God was going to call me to be a medical missionary. Here's why. I see vomit, blood, urine, pretty much any body fluid, and I'm like, I feel sick to my stomach or like I'm going to pass out. And I think, oh my gosh, I don't want to pray for God to lead me because what if he leads me there? That would be my worst nightmare. Or sometimes I think, gosh, maybe I love my husband too much. And maybe if I, if I pray for change, that God will teach me a lesson and something terrible will happen to him. Isn't that terrible theology? It's terrible theology because it discredits the character of who God is, which is a good God who loves you endlessly and infinitely. I don't take much stock in Google searches, but if you type in verses about God's love, in 0.72 seconds, there are over 21 million hits about how much God loves you. And so change me doesn't have to be a dangerous prayer if you trust him. I think the, the best way that this can be explained is through C.S. Lewis when um, Lucy is asking, or Susan is asking about, about Aslan, the, the main character, and she thinks Aslan is a man. And when she finds out that Aslan, the God figure, is a lion, she's nervous about it. She says this, she then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she asked Mr. Beaver, if Aslan is safe. To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king. And so today as we conclude, and I ask you and I challenge you to think about those dangerous prayers 
We have some time in commun in, during communion where you can think about where is it that you feel like you need to invite God in most? Is it searching? Is it confessing? Is it asking forgiveness? Or is it saying, just change me, Lord. Change me to the likeness of who you are. Before you ask any of those questions, before you pray any of those dangerous prayers, you really have to answer the question, do you trust him? Do you trust that he's the good king on the throne and that he loves you endlessly?